All right, let's go to the Bible, and Pastor Paul's going to preach for us today. First book of the New Testament, Matthew, is our passage. Chapter 1, verse 18 through to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through to 25. I'll be reading from the ESV version. And uh, just a reminder that as I read this, this, this is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here with you uh, to open up God's Word. Uh, before I jump into today's sermon, I, I do have like a, an announcement to make, and I'm going to invite us to pray um, just based off that announcement. Uh, but some of you may know, uh, you might, if you're in a growth group, you've probably got a text, uh, but uh, we found out this week uh, that Hunter Seal Council has told the school uh, that uh, we're not allowed to use this hall, uh, that we don't have the right permissions uh, to do so. And so unless the situation resolves, uh, our last service here will be uh, in a few weeks, uh, 25th of December. Uh, that's the last week uh, that we'll be meeting here unless we can resolve what's going on. And so uh, we're trying to figure out our next steps. Um, and what's the best way forward? Um, is, it, is there a way that we could stay? Or do we have to leave and go somewhere else? And so we're figuring that out. And hopefully, I think this week, we'll have a much better idea of uh, what it's going to look like. And so I wanted to keep you updated. And we will keep you updated through it all. Uh, if you're in a growth group, you'll probably get texts, um, maybe one a week, maybe. And uh, if you're not in a growth group, I will let you know here. And if we do move to a different location, we'll put it up on our website or on Instagram, you know, for the first week of next year. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you're sad about this, um, but for me, I think I'm deeply grateful and thankful for the times we have been able to be here. Uh, Hunter's Hill, um, the money that we've saved being able to be here has been truly a blessing. And if we've only been able to stay here for the two years um, prior and we have to now go somewhere else, I think God has been so good to us, right? And I trust that God will continue to be good to us, uh, that no matter what the outcome is going to be, uh, that He's faithful and that He's doing a good work at Kingsway uh, and that He's going to bear good fruit, right, whether we stay or whether we go. And I don't know, that's kind of where my heart's been. Surprisingly, I haven't been too stressed. Um, and hopefully uh, you're not stressed as well. But I want to invite us to pray just for two things, and then I'll jump into today's sermon. So the first thing is I want to invite us to pray for is to ask that God would work in you. Right, through the midst of everything going on, that God would work in you to love and to trust and to seek Him more. You know, where we meet is far less important than who we meet for. And maybe you know, all of this is a good shake-up 
for us to remember who do we meet for, and it's for God, that we would recommit ourselves to chase after Him, to love Him, and that above all, that in the next season, that we would draw closer to Him. So would you pray uh, that God would work in you and your friends and the people next to you uh, through this season? Can we make that our prayer? Uh, Let's pray for that. Yes, God, we ask, Lord, that you would be in the midst of us, uh, working to draw us near to you. God, we know that where we meet is not that important, uh, that it doesn't matter whether location, uh, whether it's pretty. Um, God, what matters most is that your presence is with us. What matters most is that we as a community are united, uh, that we love and serve one another, and that we come before you with honest um, hearts that long to see you and to seek after you. So, God, I pray that uh, everything that happens, God, that you would move us closer to you, uh, that you would wake some of us up from our um, comfort, um, from our apathy, uh, that you would uh, draw us uh, back to you uh, in the midst of this, that you would cause us to pray and to hunger after you, that we'll fight um, to uh, reinvigorate our faith and continue to hold on to that. So, God, I pray uh, and I trust, God, that you are the one who can work in the midst of us and continue to do that work um, amongst us going forward, God, to your glory. Uh, second, I just want to um, want us to pray for this. Uh, let's ask that God would guide our next steps, uh, just in a place of hope, um, asking that God would uh, teach us what to do. Uh, we know that God has a good plan for us, and so in that uh, kind of trust, uh, God, would you help us? Um, <clears throat> as we speak to people, as uh, the legal team or the venue team you know, do their things, as the council and discusses, uh, that God would guide each of those discussions and each of the decisions that will come about. Uh, Let's ask for wisdom. Uh, Let's ask for grace in the midst of conversations with the school or the council. Uh, Let's ask that God would be with us in all of this. Uh, Let's confess that we trust God and that you you and I, we would surrender our worries to him um, and that uh, the leadership would do that as well. And so, yeah, let's ask God to guide our next steps and then I'll pray for us. Uh, Let's pray. Yes, God, we trust you. We trust that you are doing a good work. God, um, in this place of trust and hope, uh, we ask that uh, you would uh, guide us. Uh, You would guide us to the place that you want us to be, Um, not necessarily the place that we want to be, the place that uh, you have planned for us, where we will be most effective uh, for um, your gospel, the place where we can make a big impact, the place where um, people will come and that you will bear fruit, uh, the place where, God, that you want us to draw home. So, God, I pray that in the midst of all uh, human wisdom and knowledge, uh, that your desire uh, would pierce through it all and that you'll make it known to us. Father, I pray um, as the many teams discuss and um, you know, deliberate, God, that you would uh, be with us in wisdom and that you would give us guidance, uh, that we would lower ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. And we ask that your will be done. Uh, we ask that your, um, your desires will be made evident uh, in the midst of us. And God, that you would uh, work uh, through us. And so, God, we just bring glory in it. And we want to seek you in the matter where we can. So, God, we pray. Let me pray. Um, God, we thank you uh, for the privilege that we have been able to meet here in this um, beautiful place um, to um, not pay a lot of money for rent um, and to, you know, as a new church plant to, um, you know, gather together here at Hunters Hill. Um, God, you have already been so good to us. And so we want to give you all the glory and thanks um, for that. And God, as we look to the future and the uncertainty of what might happen uh, in the short time frame that we have to figure all this out, God, we uh, surrender all of the anxiety or the worries at your feet. Uh, We surrender all the decisions that must be made. We surrender all of our desires for what kind of a location that we might want. And at the end of the day, God, we ask that you would take us to the place that you want us to uh, meet at. 
God, we know that it doesn't really matter where we go, as long as you are there, as long as your presence is there, as long as the people would gather with a humble heart and a passionate desire to seek you, that that is what matters most. And so, God, I pray uh, that we would surrender, you know, I guess our human uh, wisdom and our human longing uh, for a beautiful night. And that you would, um, yeah, take us to the place that, uh, yeah, that you have planned out uh, in your foreknowledge. God, I pray that this might be a good opportunity for Kingsway to be um, taken out of our comfort zone, uh, to be caused to fall on our knees and pray, to confess our dependence on you, to acknowledge that we don't hold our lives and our future in our hands and that our hands are ultimately, um, yeah, in yours and uh, you are the one that is in control. So uh, draw us near to you. And may uh, all of this uh, refine our faith and strengthen our uh, relationship with you. Um, And in all of that, uh, would you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll jump into the sermon now. Um, Today we're going to continue our series on Advent. Um, I don't have a clicker, so I'm going to be saying um, next next slide, next slide, etc. But, you know, this Christmas season, I don't know about you, but it feels like a season of love doesn't it? Christmas is such a, like, a lovely time. People are so much more happier. Um, the Christmas movies, they seem to be romantic movies. I think of Love Actually, right? that, that very famous Christmas movie that's a love story. Um, and all the other uh, B-rated movies that's showing up on Netflix lately about Christmas that you know, are also romantic movies. Uh, Christmas is a season of love. And today I want to talk about uh, one of the greatest love stories, if not the greatest love story, not only in the Bible, but in the whole world, right? We just heard about it in Matthew 1, right? It might not seem like the likely place to find a love story, but it is. Right here, as we look at Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus in the womb that she carries, and this scenario is truly an incredible love story. And so as we look at this love story, we're gonna focus mainly on Joseph because we're gonna see it from Joseph's perspective. I wanna break down who Joseph is and at the end of it, I wanna show you why this is indeed a love story. Now when it comes to Joseph, the Bible surprisingly doesn't say much about him. We know very little about the legal father of Jesus. We know near to nothing, if not nothing, about his life growing up. What was he like as a child, his teenage years? We know barely anything about his adult life. And what do you know about Joseph? He's a carpenter, right? We don't know that because, you know, we see it in him. We see that in the life of Jesus, right? Someone says, oh, that's the carpenter's son. Only by inference do we know that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. You know, we know a lot more about Mary. She shows up in the ministry life of Jesus. You know, she shows up with his brothers and, and siblings, and they're like, you know, we want to meet you. And Jesus says, you know, who are my brother, my sisters? Mary is there at the cross when Jesus is dying. Mary's there at the tomb. Even when the church starts up, Mary is there. But Joseph, Joseph's not. In the case of Joseph, apart from the birth narrative, right, so the conception and the, the manger, apart from that point, He's basically not in the Bible. He shows up at the temple scene when Jesus is a little boy and he stays back at the temple, but he's not named. And only Mary speaks in that scenario. It's like he's just in the background. 
Right? He really only shows up in the birth narrative. And our passage today gives us one of those rare looks at who Joseph is. Now, I'm going to be honest, it's not a lot. We don't see a lot about Joseph, but what we do see is Joseph in an incredibly intense moment in his life. He has immense pressure on him. And, you know, when you see someone and how they respond to pressure, you really get to see who they are, right? It's when someone's under pressure that you see their character, right? Everyone can be loving or patient when life is good, but when life starts to fall apart, when there's big decisions to make, when you're really hurt, those are the moments when you get to really see who someone is. And that's where we're going to find Joseph. And we're going to see what kind of a person he is. Right, next slide. We're going to come to this great love story. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain what's going on. What's the context? Uh, to be betrothed was like our version of being engaged. But, you know, you got, you got dating and marriage. And I would say engaged is more towards dating than marriage, right? It's kind of like you're nearly, you're kind of a step after dating, but not really married. It's closer to dating. Betrothed is more marriage than dating, right? They're similar, but it's more intense, so if you were betrothed, you were actually legally bound to the other person, like a contract. You were contracted to be a future husband and wife. And normally people who were betrothed would wait up to a year before they would consummate the marriage. And so I'm betrothed, but I'm living separately from you. I, I don't sleep with you. But after about a year, I will take you into my home, I'll officialize the marriage, and then we will, we will sleep together, right? That's how it would occur. But it was such a serious thing that if you were to break that betrothal, you would have to go through a divorce. Right? That's why I'm saying it's closer to marriage than dating, right? If you're engaged in our day and you break the engagement, you don't have to go sign any papers or anything like that, right? Because it's, it's much more closer to dating. So that's a relationship that Joseph and Mary had. It's a very serious relationship, right? They've contracted to become husband and wife. They've made vows to not sleep with each other, and not sleep with anyone else, of course, right, until they will consummate the marriage. And it's under these circumstances that Joseph, it says, he finds out that Mary is with a child. Now, it also says this is before they came together. So they haven't, like Joseph hasn't slept with, with Mary, but he finds out she's pregnant. And so understandably, the, the logical conclusion that Joseph comes to is, if she has a child and it's not mine, then it must be with someone else. Right? Mary has been unfaithful to me. Right? And that's the conclusion that he comes to. Right? Again, intense moment, pressure. This is where we find Joseph. And as Joseph responds, we see Three things about Joseph that are very powerful. Next slide. The first thing is that Joseph is just. Right? If we keep going on, verse 19, her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and I'm willing to put it to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, when it says Joseph was a just man, it means he, before God, uh, knew God's law, 
he was knowledgeable of it, he studied it, and he was willing to, to let God's law guide his decisions. And that's what it means in terms of just, like righteous. You know, when life falls apart and we have big decisions to make, do you tend to think, you know, what does God say about this? You know, what, what does God's word say about this? Right? Is that the way we think, right? Because that's the way Joseph is thinking. When he's a just man, he wants to do what's right according to God. You know, sometimes we don't know what God would say. But Joseph is the kind of person who had grown up studying God's word that he knew in that moment what God's word would say about his situation. You know, sometimes we do know what God's word says, we just don't want to do it. But Joseph was a kind of person who knew what God's word says and he wanted it to guide his decision. And as far as he knew, this scenario, she had sinned. She had wronged him. And according to the Mosaic law, he decided that he was going to divorce her. And that was, in his act, an act of justice. But second, Joseph is merciful. Because according to the Mosaic law, Joseph could have you know, gone up to the leaders you know, and publicly shamed Mary and then gotten people to kill her, right? stone her to death. Right? That's what Deuteronomy 22 says. It says, if there is a betrothed virgin, right? that's Mary, right? She's betrothed. And a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. And again, this is the Mosaic law, this is the Old Testament, um, not binding to us anymore today. But for Joseph, he could have come to the leaders and said, this is what the law says. He could have dragged Mary into the middle of the, the town, publicly in front of everyone, said, this is what she's done, and he could have argued that she should be killed. Now imagine, uh, I don't know if you've been really hurt in your life by a friend, um, by your spouse, you felt betrayed. You know, when I find myself where I feel wronged, in my, if I'm honest, like, my response is justice but let me get as much justice as I can. And what that really is, is I'm like, revenge. I want as much justice. If I was in this scenario, you can imagine that uh, someone might say, yes, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go for that. Because this person has hurt me. They've betrayed me. Right? They've broken the, the vows that they've made with me. And this is okay. You can imagine you know, the inner voice inside of your head or the people around you coming up to you and saying, it's okay. You're allowed to do this. This is right. It's fair. Get even. That's, that's, that's justice. But again, Joseph is merciful. Even though he could do this, Joseph isn't just merciful, he, uh, just, he's merciful, and he straddles that difficult line between them. And so this is what he does. Next slide. In verse 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, right? that's his mercy, he resolved to divorce her, but divorce her quietly. This is the mercy of Joseph on display. Even though he could have publicly disgraced her, I don't know why, except for mercy, that he wants to divorce her in such a way that he can protect her. That he doesn't make a public disgrace of her, 
um, that maybe rather than exposing her shame, that he might hide her shame. Now this mercy uh, comes with a cost. When we give mercy to people, oftentimes it does. It costs us something, even if it means you know, not getting even. One thing that publicly exposing Mary would have done for Joseph was it would have made clear to everyone that Joseph was innocent, right? Because he would have made, made it known. She's the one at fault. And I want to divorce her, but it's her fault, right? But by divorcing her quietly and hiding her shame, Joseph was willing to let that go. He was willing to let an air of mystery remain for the gossip and the people to judge him. The people might still say, why did they divorce? Maybe it's his fault. Right, maybe that's his child. Right, and he was, allow, he was allowing that to happen in his mercy. Right, and it's, 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 it's quite um, incredible what he does. Um, it's, it's humbling to think that that's how you'd respond in a place of pain and hurt. Uh, I don't think it's normal. But the third thing that we see, next slide, is that Joseph is loving. Not only to God, but also then to Mary. And we've seen his love even now in his mercy. But verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is like agonizing, what should I do? Okay, this is what I think I'm gonna do. And then an angel appears in a dream and says, don't worry, uh, the baby uh, in, in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. And then he'll go on to say, it's the savior of the world, right? It's God's son, it's God with us, it's Emmanuel. You know, I also always imagine that uh, this is meant to be uh, comforting for Joseph. Right, like, oh, phew, wow, like, I don't know, that's, it's, not, it's not as bad as I thought. The reality is, I think this would have been scarier. Maybe that's why the angel's like, don't fear. Because what a, what a, what a burden to father the savior of the world. I don't know, it's difficult enough to parent any child, let alone the perfect child. Right? You, you never be able to tell him off. I don't know, maybe you've got to listen to him rather than he listens to you. But how does this even work out? What if you make a mistake? I and mean, there's so much pressure in that. To think that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, to think that the Savior of the world was in her womb, and that you have to be the legal adoptive father of this child. Not only was there the weight of parenting Jesus, but there's an additional weight that this calling comes with. And it is the weight of now carrying Mary's shame. You see, Joseph went from exposing her shame to now saying, I'm gonna hide her shame. But now what God is calling him to do is carry her shame as if it's his own. You see, if, Mary, if Joseph put her in public, it would have cleared him of any guilt. If he divorced her quietly, it would have allowed gossip and rumor to continue. And people might say, oh, maybe he's at fault. But now, by taking her as his wife, it would have made clear to everyone, at least in their mind, that baby was Joseph's. Now, why else would he keep Mary with him? You know, commentators say that at this point, Mary was quite likely three to four months pregnant, possibly. And so even if right at that moment, he took her as his wife, like the belly's probably showing maybe, 
And people would have been like, wait, wait a minute. Like after Jesus is born, that doesn't add up. And their conclusion would have been, Joseph slept with Mary during their betrothal. Joseph is guilty of sin. That's the call. Carry her shame. And incredibly, this is how he responds. Next slide, please. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As soon as Joseph wakes up, he obeys. And this is a display of his love for God, his willingness to obey and follow God no matter the cost, and it's his love for Mary, willing to protect her, right? he was already willing to do that in hiding her shame, but now carrying it as if it's his own. He probably lived the rest of his life with people talking behind his back, known as a person who broke his betrothal vows, a sinner. He was willing to do that for the sake of Mary. And that's love. He loved God. He loved Mary and was willing to do this for her. I once heard that the opposite of love is not hate, but it's selfishness. And that love is really selflessness. Right? Love is powerfully seen in acts of selflessness, right? When a person is willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the other. The person who travels three hours just to meet their boyfriend or girlfriend and say, that's a surprise, oh, that's love. He sacrificed three hours of his life. But that's love, it's the sacrifice. The spouse who sacrifices their own tiredness to do the chores so that the significant other can rest. Oh, that's love. It's the parent who travels and migrates to Australia, sacrificing all that they once knew and loved back home so that their children might have greater opportunities. That's love. Love is often seen in acts of sacrifice. And as we look at Joseph, we see love. A great love story of a man who was willing to sacrifice for God and for his wife. In the midst of all the great love stories that are being told this Christmas on Netflix, this here is one of the great love stories, I think. It doesn't seem it. There's a lot of tragedy, a lot of um, stigma and all that and scandal. But would you act like this? Do you love like this? Do you love God like this? Do you love your friends like this? Do you love your spouse like this? But when I say one of the greatest love stories ever told, I wasn't talking about this one. I was talking about another one. All right, so next slide. Let me talk about the greater love story shown in Matthew 1. You know, Reuben has a a Spider-Man torch toy that, I don't know if you're a parent, you probably you get these in like um, Easter show bags. I think that's where he got his. It's like a, it's like a little dodgy torch with a Spider-Man sticker on it. Um, but it comes with these plastic uh, caps. And on the cap, it's got a little picture of, you know, Spider-Man's mask or his logo. And you know, if you look carefully enough, you can see the little black drawing of that. 
Uh, but when you stick it on the torch, and you turn the torch on, that little picture is projected onto the wall and it becomes like big. It's like small, but then you turn the torch on and it fills up the whole wall, right? That, that, that's, that's, that's the toy. <laughs> that's what's going on in this story. In a very small way, we see a story of a, a groom who has an unfaithful wife, Mary, and the willingness to pursue her and sacrifice for her. But on a much bigger, grander scale, what we're actually seeing is the story of God and his willingness to pursue and sacrifice for his bride, which is his people. Right? That is really the greater love story at play. That is what's happening here in Matthew 1. Everything that we see in this story about Joseph that says, wow, that's remarkable. How can you love like that? That's incredible. We should be saying about God in the Christmas season. Now, throughout the Bible, God's people are depicted as God's bride. It's one of the kind of images that the church is, is you know, described as. You know, we're described as the body. Uh, we're described as a house. We're also described as a bride. Right? You see it in the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus tells. You know, the church is the bride there. Ephesians 5 where it says, you know, husbands love as Christ loved the church and wives submit as the church loved Christ. It's like the church and Jesus, that relationship is meant to be seen in the husband and wife relationship. It's like paralleling marriage into the relationship with God. We see it in 2 Corinthians 11 and we see it in the book of Revelation and etc. But one of the most powerful moments that we see the marriage of God and his church and his people is in the book of Hosea. I don't know if you know the book of Hosea. It's, it's quite incredible. God comes to a prophet named Hosea, and he tells him to marry a prostitute. And so he marries a woman named Goma. And uh, Goma bears Hosea three children, and then she's unfaithful to Hosea, and she commits adultery. And God's point here is, this is my relationship with my people. You, Israel, are an unfaithful people, and you have betrayed me, right? That's what he says. If you read Hosea 1, 2, it says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord, right? So you do this because that's what the land is doing to me. You see, God's people have promised to follow after God, but God's people continually through the Bible and even now, we commit idolatry. And idolatry is just spiritual adultery. It's spiritually us saying, God, I'm gonna to commit to you, I'm gonna be faithful to you, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna obey you, and then we turn away from him and we love other loves and we chase other things and we turn our backs on him, right? That's spiritual adultery. That's, that's what idolatry is. And so God says, Hosea, I want your life to be a picture of what's going on between me and my bride. But what is incredible is that in the book of Hosea, God, after Goma you know, um, is unfaithful to Hosea and goes away, God tells Hosea to go pursue your wife and pay off all the debts that she owes to the other people, right, maybe due to her prostitution, and I want you to bring her back and welcome her as your bride again. 
That's what we see in the next slide, Hosea 3. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. To be honest, I don't know what the cakes of raisins are for. I'm sure there's some deep thing there. But again, the reason why God tells Hosea to pursue an unfaithful wife is because he's saying, that's what I'm going to do for you. My bride, my church, my people, despite your continual rebellion, your continual lack of commitment, your empty promises, I will not give up on you. I will pursue you. I will pay your debts and I will bring you back as my bride into a relationship with me. And so again, if we come back to the story of Christmas, we've got Joseph, we've got Mary. On the one hand, we're seeing Joseph, his justice, his mercy, his love to his unfaithful, supposedly unfaithful bride. But we turn on that torch and we step back and we see what's really at play is God's story. About God and his bride, his church. And it's a story of God's justice, God's mercy, and God's love at play. Next slide. God in his justice would look to his people who are spiritually adulterous. And like in the case of Mary, God can put us to shame and he should put us to death. But unlike Mary, we have actually sinned. We have actually disobeyed God. We have wronged him. We have loved other loves more than him. And we deserve to be punished for those sins. Right, Romans 3.23, the wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. Psalm 145, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. In his justice, that's what God should give to us. But next slide. In his mercy, he wants to treat us better and not give us what we deserve. God in his mercy was not willing to put his bride to death, though we deserved it. And just as God commanded Hosea, pursue her, pay her debt, and bring her back. God, to his bride, the church, pursues us, pays our debt, and welcomes us back. And that's why Jesus was born. The angel says to Joseph in verse 21, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, in the story of Matthew, as Jesus is in the womb of Mary, he's there because God wants to pay the debt of the church, of God's people, so that he would bring us back to him. Next slide. And so here is God's love. You know, when we think about Joseph, we're so touched and moved at how loving he could be. That he would look to Mary, who, as far as he was concerned, had hurt him, and say, I'm not going to expose your shame. I will hide it. And then he goes from there to, then I will carry it. We're like, oh, that's incredible. But on a grand scale, that's what God did for us in Jesus. Isn't that why Jesus was born? Not only to hide our sin, but to carry it for us. Jesus was born that he would die. Jesus would go to the cross 
And there he would carry the weight of our sin and our shame as if it were his own. He's innocent, but he would carry it as if it were his own. He would be punished and put to death so that our debt may be paid, that we may be forgiven, and so that God could bring back his bride to himself. You see, this is the greater love story at play in Matthew 1. We've got Mary and Joseph, and they're having their own little relationship. But on a grand scale, God and his church, and he's pursuing us, and that is why Jesus is being born. All of it's revolving around Jesus on a human level, but on the grand scale, it is God in Jesus saving his bride from their own sin. First Peter 2, it says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body, right? He carried that on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him. And we, we see this as Jesus. He laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, right? That's what Jesus did. He carried our shame. And as, as impressive as Joseph might seem and moved we may be, oh, what a lovely love story. I mean, all the love stories have something like this, right? There is no greater love story than the story of God's love for you. It's a, it's a love that we don't earn or deserve. You know, we can never earn it. We can never deserve it, and yet it's freely available. It's a love that never gives up on us. It's a love truly out of this world. On a grand scale, Christmas is a story of God's love for you. I think this is the greatest love story of all time. I don't know about you, whenever I watch movies and like there are moving moments, I always think of like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if you do that. It's like, oh, that's, that's like Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us. You know, it's one thing for a human to sacrifice so much of themselves for another human, but we're talking about God the perfect one, right? the eternal one, he who was infinite, and he would do this for someone like you, who is the opposite of him. Right? The infinite would step into the finite. Right? God, who was up on the throne, he would put on flesh and come down to earth. Right? What an incredible story this is. If a person's love is most powerfully seen in their sacrifice, then what kind of a sacrifice did God give for you? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus himself says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, there's a story of the last living emperor of the Manchu dynasty in China. He's a man, an emperor named Yi. And the story goes that Emperor Yi was so powerful and so wealthy uh, that at any moment he'd have a thousand servants just waiting to do um, whatever he wanted. And at one point, uh, Yi's brother asked him, what happens when you make a mistake? Right, to the emperor, what happens when you make a mistake? And the emperor, he responded, when I do something wrong, someone else is punished. And to show an example, he took an ornate jar and he threw it and he smashed it. 
And immediately, a servant was taken and beaten for that action. I was like, see, that's what happens. That's what happens when you're an emperor and a king and you make a mistake. A servant is punished for you. Now, when we hear that, we're like, oh, that's disgusting. Right? How can something like that happen? That's appalling. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around the fact that a servant would be punished for the mistakes of a king. And yet the story of Christmas and the story of Jesus is that flipped upside down. It's the story of a king punished for the mistakes of his servants. And as difficult as it is to think that a servant would do that for a king, it's impossible in a way to think that a king would do it for his servants. And yet that is what God has done for you. This is the greatest love story in the world. And as we close, I want to invite us all to just sit under this truth that this is the measure of love that God has for you. If you haven't responded to God's love before, I want you to respond today and believe that this is true for you. And if you haven't sat under for a long time, maybe you've left God and you've forgotten about him, I want you to sit under this truth today. I want to challenge you. This is God's love for you. We see it here in Matthew 1. God pursued you. He paid your debts. And he welcomes you back today. Let's close our eyes. And let's sit under this truth today. I want you to wrestle with this truth yourself. Whether you're an old Christian, you're a new Christian, you've never called yourself a Christian. God loves you. Not because you deserve it, or because you're good. Not because you are worth loving. The truth is, each of us have sinned and we deserve to be punished. But God in His mercy and His love sent His Son to carry our sin and to die in our place so that we might be forgiven. He paid our debts that we might be, though unfaithful we are, we might be welcomed back to God. Would you believe in Jesus? Would you sit under that love? Would you thank God in your own words? Would you turn to Him again and say, God, I thank you for your love. Let me try to love you back. Let me try to live for you and follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world. Let's make that our prayer.